Jordan Covenant. It's great to see you all and great to see guests that are here as well. Um, it's been a good and challenging few days for us. We are so thankful for the gift of our speakers and panelists this week as they've pushed us to examine ourselves in the light of the truths of the gospel and the realities of history. Many of you met Michelle yesterday at our morning panel, but let me give her another brief introduction for those of you who weren't there. Michelle Higgins is a St. Louis native and lives and works there currently. She spent many years in Chattanooga as well, both as a student at Covenant College, a theater major, and working at New City Fellowship. She moved back to St. Louis to get her MDiv at Covenant Seminary, and she lives there now with her husband and two children. Currently, Michelle serves as Director of Worship and Outreach at South City Church in St. Louis and as the Director of Faith for Justice, a Christian advocacy group. She also works as an organizer for LDR Weekend, serves as one of the three co-hosts of Truth's Table, a podcast built for black women by black women. She has spoken widely recently at the CCDA National Conference and at Urbana. And we are just delighted to have her back on campus. So please give a warm Scots welcome to Covenant alum, Michelle Higgins. How y'all doing? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Thank God it's Friday. So we have a little bit of time together. I don't want to act like I don't know y'all getting some credit for rolling up in this room, amen? So while I may not be able to offer my sincere gratitude to people who opted to be here, I can offer my congratulations. You have stumbled upon a vessel that will take you on a long and hopefully productive journey. When we get together, the question we want to answer is, where are we going? When you walk into a room and you're not the one who's holding the microphone, you wonder, what are they gonna say? And so I believe it's important for me to let you know where I pray, where I hope we go together. And that is towards that sometimes uncomfortable space of sliding up next to you and bumping into each other and rubbing up against each other till we know exactly how we smell and what kind of onions we ate last night because we will be swaddled like precious babies in the arms of God. This is worship. It forms us. The God who birthed us, the one who knows us, is also the one who would have us know each other. So I'm going to speak from my experience. I'm a black woman born and raised in the United States, I would encourage you to understand that when I talk about black music, it is a global exercise that speaks of global experiences. But my story, what I can share with you, happens on this soil. And so you may, I hope, you will desire to hear from people from Tanzania, from worship leaders in Haiti, to find brothers and sisters who can speak to the global black experience outside of the United States. And when you have that longing, you may stumble upon something even deeper and more incredible 
the understanding that what God gives to any group in his house, he gives to enrich the lives of everyone who calls on his name. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the reasons that I sing. I gotta call my sister up. You know, ain't nothing, ain't no, no woman is an island. Come on up here, Mary. This is Mary Higgins. She's the reason I graduated from Covenant. All right, sing it if you know it. Someone asked. Someone asked a question. Black music testifies to the black experience. Black music reminds us of the black existence. It informs me that there are people who suffer. There are people who mourn. And Jesus is the one who is acquainted with their grief. Black music is a testimony not only to the God we worship, but of the God we worship. And so today, one small corner, which in my biased but wholly biased opinion, is the foundational piece of all expressions of black music in America. We're going to talk about gospel. Is that all right? Oh, you got to talk to me. I got my keyboard play over there. Well, I got the piano play over there, so he's going to talk to me too. The worship experience in black America is musical. When we were not allowed to have pianos, when we were not allowed to have guitars, 
that we brought ourselves from Africa, by the way, when we were not allowed to speak, to learn, to read, we had our bodies. And so music in its expression invites and re-invites people who are afraid of their bodies to use them. You can stomp, you can clap, you can sing, and you can create a sound. That's why it's funny and exciting when we see a little choir get together and jack up Cardi B's song. I don't dance, y'all, I make money move. That was funny. I make, I make money move, money move, I make. You knew what they were doing. They were putting the black gospel sound on another expression of black music. Why? Because gospel is the stuff. And gospel is the place where it all started. Black gospel music is resistance. It says to me, you are made in God's image. When I am attempting to sing in a strange land where by law, the indigenous people who have now been made invisible by law, the folks that actually own Lookout Mountain, are now invisible by law. Gospel music says nobody is invisible to God. In fact, he has poured out an extra measure of blessing to those that society has despised. Resistance is why we sing. We all understand that existence is another piece of why black gospel music is so critical, not just for black people, but for people of color in the struggle in the United States. Because there has been a false notion that raised this nation up on the backs of unpaid labor. And that false notion is that norms are set by people who have power and who are white. And because power belongs only to those who are white and specifically men, they set the things that we call normal. There's a reason that we say, oh, this feels so different when we're jamming out to choirs. And I mean, not just white people say that, I say that, oh yes, I can feel the difference, it's wonderful. And that is because even I have been conditioned to hold to a false norm, an artificial idea that somebody other than the maker of people, of heaven, of earth, of tongues, of singing, of sound, somebody other than our great creator gets to tell me what normal is, somebody other than the king of kings get to tell us what we should do with our bodies in worship someone other than the God who gave us life and song gets to tell us how to worship rightly? My friends, do not allow yourself to be sabotaged and poisoned and eventually killed by the idea that to worship rightly is to worship whitely. We have to disrupt that. And black American music in the gospel tradition is that disruption. We understand, we understand that there is a theology of suffering that all of us are led to learn when we look out on God's call for us to go into the world and to do what? Jesus told us to go out and baptize and make disciples, didn't he? We are to make disciples to him and not to our idea of good conduct. We are to make disciples to him and not to our idea of how to live together. You see, we have a king. 
We already have a norm that's been set. But I wonder sometimes, I wonder if we have laid over God's norms, God's sweet call to unity and interdependence. I wonder if we have laid over that the idea that we can get it right without him, that we can get it right in our power. And I fear, my friends, that the church in America that calls itself evangelical is in danger of no longer worshiping God. You see, often the most traditional Christian communities seek to preserve a majority cultural norm over the tenets of worship and freedom and liberty in the scriptures. We seek to preserve cultural norms by calling normalcy orthodoxy. Worship traditions born from the black gospel experience are an indictment on the same. Our lamentation, crying out, Lord, help me to hold out, is seen as anti-biblical. It's seen as complaining. It's seen as focusing in on myself. And yet when I read the Psalms and David is crying out, that's okay, but it's unorthodox for me to stop my feet and twist because maybe you're looking at my hips and not worshiping God. I wonder... I wonder if the attempt to control black bodies comes directly from the idea that black bodies can be controlled. I wonder, I wonder if our idea of believing that we must stand still and be in awe of God actually comes from the idea that we would all like to stand still and act like we are in complete control. But you know you jacked up when you walk into the sanctuary. That's why you need Jesus. If you don't think you jacked up, if you think that you are as in control as you look, then you need to look again. And black music can help you, baby, because I know it helped me. Our bodies are integral to the worship experience. They're not an inconvenience to it. Your hands were made to flap and slap and smack that preacher when he get in your kitchen. Don't play with him. God has given you a word. And he's given you his word. And we must understand that our music that we worship with gives words to our pain. It teaches us to dance in the rain. It shows us the peace that passes all understanding that I wouldn't need unless I was grieved. We must begin to worship together. Black music centers on communities of suffering. You see... What happens when African people are kidnapped and taken against their will into slave ships that are named Grace of God, into slave ships that are named Jesus Christ? What happens to those who suffer under the guise of global missions? What happens when we put manifest destiny on top of God's image bearers, God disrupts. And so black music reminds us that the God who draws near to those who suffer is also the God that shows them against all odds. He shows us that we are not in existence by any means outside of his will and imagination. Our own insecurities about who we are what is undignified and what is unbiblical. Come face to face with the mighty power of God who shows us not only who he is, but what we can know in him. 
And so our singing cries out, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood of Jesus that cleansed me. I know it was not my obedience to keeping the peace in a society that's already murdered my ancestors. I know it's the blood. Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel in an empire that told him to bow down to a man? Didn't my Lord deliver Daniel in an empire that said, hey, the way the king talks is how everyone should talk. Hey, what the king thinks is how everybody should think. Hey, the king is going to make a statue to himself. Uh-oh, Washington Monument. Uh-oh, Trump Tower. Hey, the king is about to make a statue to himself, and you will pour your money, your goods, your ideas, your giftedness, your talents, and your time to that idol. Oh, no, baby. The Lord delivered me, and I know who I am. That is why I sing. That is why the Lord draws near to the people who have been made invisible by the satanic ideas of nationalism. That is why the Lord draws near to the people who desire to worship in spirit and in truth. And what do you know? When we get together to worship in spirit and in truth, we can leave these doors and worship in the classroom and worship in the voting booth. We can leave these doors and take the liturgy that we learn in the presence of the Lord. Oh, the presence of the Lord is everywhere, so we can worship in the sanctuary and the streets. Don't play with God. He is not made in your image. You are made in his. The marginalized won't just be leading our churches in the future. See, black gospel music also speaks to needing a broader community. It says not just who, I've got to know who I am because I've been told that blackness can only be defined in opposition to whiteness. I've, I've got to discover who I am in the bosom of God's providence and not in the belly of the whale of the slave ship. I've got to figure out why I'm here. You see, black music says the word we more often than many other traditions. We have come this far by faith. We know, we wonder, we need you, Lord. Black music calls God, God. And then we say, and ain't nobody beside him. That strikes like attitude, doesn't it? But the truth is, it's attitude because we know that God is who we said he was. We are able to remind ourselves to experience formation as we worship that teaches us not just who we are, but it teaches us why we are and whose we are. Worship is instructive in a way that prefigures our actions, right? I'm gonna treat everybody right. I'm gonna treat everybody right. I'm gonna treat everybody right until I die. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm gonna fail. I'm gonna suck at it. And some of y'all like, she's sucking at it right now. She ain't treating me, she ain't treated me right once since she got on that stage. Who let this woman in this chapel? I will trust in the Lord. Oh, I will trust. Come on, Nabil, look at it. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to do that every day. But you know who else failed? What did, when did David write some of those songs? After he sent a man to his death so he could steal his wife because he had slept with her already. Let's not joke. Like the people who wrote the words were singing out the Bible had it all together. Let's not joke like Moses ain't murder somebody. Now he was protecting someone, but he still took somebody's life. Let's not pretend like Moses wasn't a divorcee who forgot to circumcise his son and the Lord sent an angel of death to cut him off. Let's not pretend, my friends, that we are unable to harmonize lament, suffering, and the joy that the Lord gives in the midst of the storm. Let's not forget that worship forms us in ways that taught our Savior, our own precious Jesus, to sing, I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know, Jesus knew Psalm 27, and he had sung it and read it and chanted it and been formed by it so that when he left synagogue and crawled up on that cross and scorned shame in his naked body so that you would be covered with the blood that flowed out of his brown skin, he was full of worship. And he was able to say, Father, do what to him? Jack him up? Oh, talk to me. What did he say? Father, did he say, Father, jack him up? What did he say? Forgive them. He said, forgive them to the point that when people who have been downtrodden, who have literally had family members chained to the back of pickup trucks, drugged down a road till the skin comes off of their faces. People who can't drive to their family reunions in Mississippi without their great-grandmother pointing out all the lynching trees that line the road. People who know that a caged bird must sing. People who know that God's eye is on the sparrow. People who know that ours is a God acquainted with grief must therefore be filled, filled with the music that is so sweet it can rock you to sleep, that is so high make your afro rise, music that is so tender it causes you to remember that you and you belong to the Lord, that you need not be afraid of what your feet can do. That you need not be so fragile that you're such a terrible dancer that you won't run around the room when you feel the spirit hit you. That you are filled with a passion that encourages you to dismantle every construct that is informing you that you must sit stick straight in the worship space. That you might discover in the stories of the people that you have been conditioned to hate. And I'm talking to us black folk, we've been conditioned to hate ourselves. That we would know that even in spaces where we feel unwelcomed, even in spaces where when we shout and when we sing, we're the only people doing it. Even in spaces when we weep and when we lament, don't nobody understand our grief. God is near to you. He's near to you in your pain. God is near to you. He's near to you in your anger. And he is there. He's there because he was always there. 
It didn't take slavery to teach black people who Jesus was. Africa is a womb of global Christianity. It didn't take masters and slaves getting together to read. But after I teach you this book lesson, baby, go in there and uh, nurse my children and sweep my floor. That's not freedom. That's not relationship. What if we exchanged truths? What if I told the truth about my pain and you actually listened? What if I told the truth about my desires and I heard the Lord say, even if no one hears you, I hear you. Because God is a doctor in the sick room. Because God is a lawyer in the courtroom. Because God is a heart fixer. He's a mind regulator. He'll make a way when it seems like there's no way. He can make blind to see. He can make lame to walk. He can make mute to talk. And if you would simply read his word, concentrate on his word, study his word, know his word, you might be less afraid. Underneath flags and anthems that tell you that you owe them their allegiance, you might be less afraid to disconnect the idea that people can serve their country and still not worship their government. You might be less afraid to stand up, to speak up, to stand in the way, to disrupt, to dismantle, and to damn the notion that there is any power that can control your body but Jesus. You might be more bold to kneel down under a flag that is stained with the blood of indigenous and black peoples. You might be more bold to say we have a history of undoing the dignity of our Chinese, Japanese, and Korean brothers and sisters. You might be so bold as to say, I don't know everything. Oh, and you might be so bold to admit that you know a God who does know everything. And that is why you can talk to your cousin, you can talk to your auntie, you can talk to that brother, that sister, who is afraid that blackness is only capsulized inside hip hop and basketball and you can't do neither, so am I really black? You may be able to encourage them, baby, if you know you're God orchestrated, you can't be man manipulated. Baby, if you know the reason why you sing, then you can move towards a time that the song will never end.